yeah. Boy, Jimmy. All right. We're back. Yes, we are back with Nick Nunes. He's the social media director at BMO. And welcome to the Unified CXM Experience. Uh, I am, as always, GradCon, CXO or Chief Experience Officer at Sprinkler, talking with Nick about all things CXM. And we're having a pretty wide ranging conversation. I mostly used the uh, first episode uh, yesterday to uh, unload on Whirlpool and Best Buy. <laughs> so I'm feeling a little guilty about that. So we're going to sort of switch gears a little bit. I'm not apologizing, by the way. I'm just saying I uh, feel guilty for wasting Nick's time. Uh, so we're going to switch gears a bit and we're going to start focusing on some of the future looking uh, scenarios in CXM. Nick's got some great ideas about where we're heading. Uh, we're going to talk about that and uh, have a bunch of fun on thinking about the future and where we're all heading. So, Nick, let's go. You've got it. I'm increasingly noticing a little sort of surprising experiences that are delightful across a broad set of organizations. I was actually at Container Store. I'm a Container Store fanatic. Uh, it's like one of the great things about moving to the United States. I mean, I walk into the Container Store when when I when I was living in Seattle and my local Container Store. I'd walk in, they would just say, "Hi, Grad. <laughs> Let's get you a couple of carts." And um, I don't know if I'm their top customer, but I got to be near the top. I am. I've got unending amounts of alpha and um, and literally hundreds and hundreds of plastic boxes, each with a little label on it. I'm actually going through a office reorganization right now. So you can see I've got my watch box, optical cable box, USB cables, uh, pet insurance box, lease, ring insurance, banking, my dog, my car. So I actually, so I have boxes for everything. And my favorite box and the box I, when I finally get this box up and running in a new home, the box I know that signals and I'm starting to like turn the corner on getting organized is my button box. I got one box just for buttons. If you say, grad, I need a button. I can get you a button. I know how to find you a button. Yeah. So anyway, so container store, I love container store. I had a weird experience where I ordered some stuff online and arrived and part of it was damaged. So uh, it was, was very unusual. And so I went into the store and I said, Hey, this piece arrived you know, quite damaged. Actually, uh, I got un- unusably damaged. And uh, they were like, just hang on a sec. And I didn't have a receipt. And I just stood there with this big broken piece of metal in my hands, right? And they were back 10 seconds later. Oh, well, I did more than 10 seconds, but really fast. Came back and they came back with a wrapped brand new set of these things. They opened the whole set and they ruffled through. And there were actually some damaged ones in there too, which was interesting. But they got me a pristine version of it and they just gave it to me. Said, there you go. And I was like, do I have to sign anything? And they're no, it's okay. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that's kind of awesome. And off I went. So it's kind of a very delightful experience. Let's just take care of it. Who knows where I got that piece from, right? So very interesting. The opposite of the experience you had with the uh, the furniture thing, the, the umbrella you mentioned on a past podcast. Oh, you listened to that episode, did you? I sure did. <laughs> oh, yeah. Room, room, I found it hilarious. Rooms to go has continued to not cover themselves in glory. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. I'm still waiting for the cover for the fire pit. That has not arrived. And oh, boy. I had to spend $800 to fix the decking that they ruined with the day bed. But anyway, just... 
that continues to be a burn in my saddle. I just, I will say it's just one of those things where I'm just getting tired of the, like having to buy a thing and then having to do all this extra work after I buy the thing. <laughs> it's just like, can I just buy the thing and have it just be put in place normally and be done with it? But anyway, let's keep going on this. So you're, let's say people are listening. We've got, you know, getting to have a reasonable sort of listenership here. And they're like, how do I start? So let's, let's say you're in marketing. Okay. Let's say you're, uh, Maybe you're the CMO, maybe not the CMO. Maybe you're the senior director or something like that. Uh, you're an influencer. You're an important part of the org. You get the idea that this customer service breakdown is causing marketing problems. It's a lot harder to sell stuff when people are you know screaming with anger. Uh, so how do you start to influence inside the organization to get it fixed? What 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 is the, like, how would you go about starting to get your hands wrapped around this customer service issue? So a couple things. One, data. I think data is something you absolutely need and it needs to be captured and categorized accordingly. So ideally you're using some sort of digital engagement system or a couple of different uh, digital engagement systems and a traditional engagement system to actually pull all that data together. Ideally, you have a singular backbone if you're able to get there. Sprinkler is a great one for that. Um, I think unpacking all of the things that you're seeing from the data and perhaps even proactively validating those things through things like surveys and callbacks and that type of thing are, are, are also very important to go down the path of. And I think the second piece is partnerships, right? If you're sitting in marketing, you need strong partnerships with care. You need strong partnerships with product development. You need strong partnerships in other pieces of the organization to really make that work in a siloed organization. And I think one of the one of the skill sets that's often not talked about as much as it probably should be from an enterprise perspective, from a large company perspective, is navigating stakeholder relationships internally is is crucial to your success. You can be the smartest person out there, but if you don't have stakeholder management skills, it's going to be very tough for you to uh, to affect real change. There's not really a lot of training in that area. You know, companies don't really teach that. It's actually interesting. Like, you're absolutely right. Those are two amazing suggestions. And actually, I'm just going to just do a quick shout out to my producer, Randy. Randy, you know, just following up on what Nick said, I think we should do a series of shows on the whole data piece because Nick's exactly right. The only way to influence the organization is to show data. You can't just like start to, you know, know, complain, right? You've got to go, hey, this is what I'm seeing from a numeric standpoint and how to make that happen. And the second thing is state stakeholder management and partnership creation as a skill set. You know, who's teaching that? Let's let's look into that a little bit, Uh, because, you know, Nick, in organizations, they teach you all sorts of stuff, but they don't teach you how to work with each other, which is amazing when you think about it. Should be job one. Yeah. Yeah. All right. This is an awesome conversation. Let me switch gears a little bit to an old hobby horse of mine. And this is actually something I um, originally learned and did a fair amount of at Procter & Gamble, which is where I started my career. But I have continued to be sort of puzzled as to why people don't do this more as well. It's another one of my general puzzlements about what's going on out there. Um, And this whole idea is uh, life stage and life cycle marketing. So Give me like two minutes here. I was going to talk about a new Forrester study or actually not a new. This is actually a little bit. It's been around for a few years, but there's a Forrester study that talks about uh, 
marketing uh, from the standpoint of customer intimacy and data intensity. So imagine the uh, y-axis is data intensity, so from low to high, and then the x-axis is customer intimacy from uh, low to high. Uh, And so at the low, low end of low intimacy and low data, uh, it would be mass marketing. Makes total sense, right? So you're targeting broad customer groups with you know reach and frequency vehicles, very sloppy, very easy, and and that's sort of what a lot of people are still doing. The next level up is what they call event triggered, and so this would be where a company is sending outbound messages in response to specific customer actions, like a website visit or a shopping cart abandonment or customer service call. And I would say most people have gotten pretty good at event triggered marketing. Uh, so a little more data required. You've got to know you did this thing and the customer intimacy is higher because I'm talking to the customer on something that they did. So they know that I'm looking at them and watching them. The next level is where I'm not seeing people do very much work, which is called life stage marketing. Uh, so this is where you target a segment of customers when they're experiencing a life event, such as you know a new baby, a new home, retirement, and, you know, I'm getting engaged, I'm getting married, all that kind of stuff. And that to me is surprising because especially with modern channels, because those particular life events are kind of a thing people talk about on modern channels. And it's be very rich. Like it's a super rich vein of information. It used to be maybe a little harder to discern before we had modern channels, but everyone broadcasts this stuff now. And I've seen, I, I've just actually got engaged about uh, six months ago. And I have had, I'd say 0% marketing because of that. I haven't had a single thing sent to me and I've been targeted zero times. And I'm very public with it. It's actually my profile picture on Facebook is we're engaged. And so I'm, I'm sort of kind of because just my eyes are sort of squinting a little bit of like, why is that not something people are doing? Then the fourth stage, which is uh, even more sophisticated, like a lot of data required, a lot of intimacy, is what they call life cycle marketing. And this is where the individual customers are targeted based on previous engagements with the company and expected future needs. And so you start to model someone's behavior and purchase patterns and then see where they're going. And again, in financial services, that's another thing where you see someone, you know, getting close to paying off their mortgage or, you know, have had a loan for three years and that car mean the meaning that car is probably about to be traded in and a new car is about to be purchased and again i don't know how many car loans i've had over the years not so many lately but you know when i've had car loans i never had anyone start marketing to me when the car loan started to mature they just would get paid off and then no one would say anything but typically i would be buying another car right away and so talk to me a little bit about this sort of phenomenon where do you think industries are generally on life stage and life cycle marketing what do you think is holding people people back? And what advice would you give people who are thinking, yeah, I probably should get after that? Part of it is probably a technology challenge, right? So if, if, if you really start to look at enterprise organizations, particularly ones that run on point solutions, and if I take social as just one example where we could go down the rabbit hole here, there are social platforms that allow you to buy advertisements based on what people say or search for. So that is that is a possibility. You Usually it is you purchase that ad on that platform through that platform directly. The challenge here is you're not doing that necessarily proactively. You're just kind of saying, I want to see everyone who is getting married and is searching for it. Pinterest actually is an interesting platform because it's very much kind of like 
it is aspirational platform and you can kind of use it to get ahead of those lifestyle events based on what folks are searching for. Otherwise, Grad, in your example, you may have seen those things advertised to you if you had explicitly searched for those things on social. But if you haven't, you're probably not getting retargeted from those websites through pixels and that type of thing. So you're not seeing it. But I think the very interesting use case, and I think what you're trying to kind of scratch at here as an opportunity is if they're explicitly talking about these things on social, right? Like having the technology in place to sort of quote unquote, listen or discover that, and then have the technology also in place to have that automatically trigger the addition of your account to a custom audience marketing campaign list that is triggered according to lifestyle stage or according to need, right? And ideally, you're also excluding your existing customer base or including it depending on what that customer need is. And the technology is is there today. I don't see many folks that are there from an organizational perspective just yet, but the opportunity is massive, particularly with the use cases you've mentioned, right? Like buying a car. The great example that we were talking about in our prep session is the interesting interaction you had on Twitter, right? With the car companies, you literally put out and tag car companies I'm buying one. And to see how they engage with you, if those of you don't follow Grad on Twitter, please do have a look at that because it's a very interesting case study. Yeah, I'm going to eventually get a complex. You realize that, right? Like just this constantly being ignored by companies or being like, you know, being dumped on with customer experiences. It's just, it's not, it's not good for my psyche. I like, I'm going to start to get jittery every time I buy something. But yeah, no, that car one was really weird. The fact that seven out of 10 car companies I at mentioned... At mentioned, I made it super easy for them uh, and didn't even bother <laughs> responding to me. It's like, wow, that's feedback. You know, <laughs> it's like, you know, I was good for it. I actually did buy a car uh, and a very nice one, actually. I actually ended up with a, you know what I ended up with? I bought a Volvo XC90. I've never owned a Volvo before. And it is a fantastic car. I would say that, that the Volvo XC90 is huge but doesn't drive huge. It, it's like a three row car. So it fits seat seven, but it doesn't feel like you're driving a tank. The second thing is the UI inside, particularly their main screen, very Tesla like and extremely easy to use to the point where I sort of love the UI of the car so much that I'm thinking of getting a second car and I'm actually wondering why I wouldn't buy a Volvo again. Yeah, I, I've seen them. I just Why, why? Because it's I love the, why sort of torment myself with some sure. different UI and also car to car, what they do, they maintain the UI between the cars. So if I go like, I'll probably get a sedan or something smaller. And so if I go in the, probably like, a, I think it's called an S60 and it's an S90. So if I go into the S and I go into the, um, I go to the XC, um, my user experience is identical between the two cars. I'll know where everything is and stuff. So that, that's pretty cool. I enjoyed that. And then, and then the third thing is that it is um, absolute, it is an absolute rocket. Like they've got this, they've got this sort of function where they sort of slip you into this um, sort of extra sort of programming gear. And I, I, the car is just unbelievably fast. And so it's been really fun to drive here in Florida where they don't seem to have speed limit, I don't think. Um, so uh, if there is a speed limit, I'm not aware of it. So let's come back to this. So what we did at Procter & Gamble was a little crude, but this is a long time ago too. But what we knew is we knew that when people bought a new dishwasher, they were often 
switching homes. People obviously replace dishwashers, but not as much as you'd think. Most dishwashers are pretty reliable devices. They don't really break very often. Like, I don't know about you, but I've, I've never replaced an existing dishwasher I've owned. But I've purchased new ones for new homes, right? So, so knowing that, we, uh, what we know is that when people are buying a new home or moving into a new neighborhood or maybe changing neighborhoods, et cetera, they have a tendency to change brand preferences. It's, a, it's when people are vulnerable to brand preference change. Uh, and as people actually get older, they don't tend to change their brand preferences. So you want to kind of get people when they're younger and thinking through what they should be using. And so we sampled Cascade in uh, all whole ton of dishwasher brands. And that Cascade sampling program was unbelievably successful because it set a brand preference right out of the gate. And then the same thing we did, same thing with diapers. There's a really interesting company that created a new mother gift pack and they would deliver these new mother gift packs to new moms. Uh, in the hospitals. And so Pampers owned that slot for decades. And so the first diapering occasions that you were doing with your baby were with Pampers. And, you know, if you had kids, you know, you don't really tend to want to mess around with something that's working, particularly in that department. And that would then tend to create brand preference as well. Uh, so those were those were sampling programs and they were based on some sort of heuristic understanding. These days, it does feel like it's so much easier to know that someone's, you know, had a child and to to get after them in a, in a positive positive way and congratulate them. And I, I'd love to see more of that out there. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see who does it and see how, see where it goes. So let's talk a little bit. I know when we're probably, I know I'm getting a little bit long in time here, so I appreciate your time here, but, um, I'd love to talk a little bit about, um, COVID impact. I've not spent a ton of time on COVID on the show, uh, just because it seems a little obvious, but we do appear knock on wood to be emerging from it. And I'm very cautious about saying that. I probably just ruined everything. Let's say we continue to move out of it and move into sort of the post-pandemic years and post-pandemic phase. As you look back over the last year and a half, uh, what lessons do you take from it? And, and how do you think we're permanently changed because of what we went through over the on a global basis over the last 18 months? So I would say that digitization of everything is something that has been a real challenge for brands and has been a learning curve for some segments of the population. But I don't think we're going to go back. I think we will regress a little bit in the amount that we're using digitized products across every industry. But I don't think we're going to go back to where we were. I think we're going to keep a massive amount of what was gained from a digital adoption perspective. I also think organizations use COVID as the sort of impetus to digitize their operations and think differently about how they service and sell to customers. And I think they were forced to expedite those plans significantly. I know from a financial services perspective, it was a requirement. You had to move quickly. You had to think about how you do what you would originally planned in three to five years in sort of 30 to 50 days or at the most three to five months. It was an interesting time. It created a lot of opportunity and it also forced a lot of those sort of political decision-making processes for a lot of organizations to be expedited. And it also sort of evened out hierarchies and a whole bunch of other things. You know, I've, I've had some very interesting conversations with my peers across Canadian banks, across telcos. The experiences they've had have been fantastic in just getting stuff done during COVID. Uh, so it really has been a catalyst, right? And then the other piece is, I think selfishly, if you are in social or digital, what a tremendous opportunity for you to have real impact, right? Real impact beyond the usual pace of 
improving impact that you probably had just by virtue of being in social or digital and the prominence it's gaining pre-pandemic. So, for example, social intelligence, right? Social listening and intelligence has never been more important in banking and probably never been used as much as it was in COVID, right? Understanding what customers needed up to that moment and finding a way to deliver it in that moment arguably not ever more important in history. Well, you know, one of the things that I was actually talking to one of our large hotel customers, we all the major hotel chains are sprinkler customers. It was what was super interesting or two super interesting things uh, about them. One is, you know, they laid off in some cases more than 90 percent of their staff and closed, you know, tons of properties. It was a very challenging business situation for them, uh, obviously. But what was interesting is they didn't cancel their sprinkler contracts. Uh, And then in many cases, they doubled down because exactly what you just said, they realized that these channels were the way when they were going to, they were going to emerge at some point. And the way to emerge is uh, through modern channels. There's a really great McKinsey study on how hotel chains and travel companies and airlines are emerging in China. China's mostly returned to pre-pandemic spend, but the spending patterns changed. And there's uh, a lot of these brands are using communities and influencers and a lot of other sort of tools that were available to them pre-pandemic, but they didn't really leverage. And now they're leveraging that as they sort of fight for market share, because there is a change in the composition that it's more leisure travel than business travel. And we don't know when business travel will return. And so the competition's a little more, a little more fierce, which is interesting. You said something a, a minute ago, which I really responded to, which is I was talking to this hotel customer and this, the senior team, we were having a great meeting. We were having this conversation and they said, what well, has been kind of fun and interesting is that with a much, much smaller team, they have been able to get way more done because they've not been having to plow through the levels in all the normal obstacles you see in a large organization. And that's a pretty interesting aha. It'll be really fascinating to see if organizations return to the same staffing levels they had pre-pandemic because I think a lot of them have found that maybe we had a few too many people and it was really hard to get stuff done because of that. I think when it comes to expediting decisions, there's there's really nothing like a, a crisis or a pandemic to show large-scale enterprises how they can really get to end of job fast and who's really needed for those decisions and um, I think you've I think you've seen the evidence across many industries just in the acceleration of what they've been able to do as a result of this. So um, it, it'll be interesting to see what holds post pandemic, right? Like how is China experiencing the folks in China and the organizations in China? How are they experiencing that velocity of accomplishment within organizations? Is it holding? Is it is it regressing any? I think that's going to be a lesson for the rest of us across the world as we kind of emerge a little bit as well. Well, and I I think we've seen this in productivity rates. Initially, productivity actually jumped when people were working from home and and moved to 100% virtual. What we're seeing now is that productivity is actually declining as people are burning out 
and you know, you know, uh, are kind of too monotheistic in their sort of communication technique. And so this actually declining productivity. And so companies are actually now running to try to get people back in the office again, at least in some kind of hybrid model. So yeah, you're right. There's going to be a lot of learning. It's going to take a while to sort this all out. Uh, I do will say though, there has been this great reset and great pause. And when humanity gets a chance to do that, we've, we've shown ourselves to be pretty good at innovating and you know, leading in new directions. And I think we will look back on this period of time, uh, partly with sadness. Uh, there's been a lot of you know, damage and death that was uh, in some cases avoidable and some, some, I say, behaviors by governments that weren't particularly admirable. Uh, but uh, I think we'll also look back at some of the advantage, some of the advantages that have came from it, and some of the innovation that came from it. Not the least of which is the mRNA vaccines. Like the the medical breakthrough in mRNA is extraordinary. It may literally hold the cure to cancer. And so that that would not be something that this pandemic leads to something that actually cures a much bigger problem that we have in society uh, and creates a lot of a lot of good over the long term. So we'll see. Um, but you know, it's uh, there's an old expression, which is, it's a shame to waste a good crisis. I don't know where that comes from. I, I'm pretty sure potentially not a good place, <laughs> but, but it's like, but nonetheless, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's leveraging, leveraging a crisis to try to get to another level uh, or another gear can make a lot of sense. All right. So Nick, you've been incredibly generous with your time and I have really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, any last thoughts? I'm going to kind of wrap in a sec, but any last thoughts or any other things you'd want to sort of, you know, make a note of before we uh, finish today's conversation? No, Brad, I don't think so. I, uh, I am very grateful that you've had me on today and I, uh, I am an avid CSM experience listener. So to be a guest has been a, a true treat. Thank you, my friend. Oh, great. Well, it's been wonderful having you. All right. So, uh, that is it for, uh, the unified CXM experience today. Uh, Nick Nunes was my guest. He's the social media director at BMO Bank of Montreal. And Nick, it's been awesome. And, uh, for the C unified CXM experience. I'm Grad Khan, CXO at Sprinkler, and I will see you next time.